The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. On this episode, our line just got defensive. The new players and what they do. I'm the columnist. I'm the analyst. And this is the Nick and Nolan Show. You ready? to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, and along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And it's a good thing, Bruce, that we figured out how to record in separate rooms a couple of weeks ago. Yes, fortuitous, I'd say. Yes, yes, indeed. So, So Bruce and I are... Back together, which was not the case for the last couple of weeks. I am still living out of a suitcase and uh, in process of trying to get out of my old house entirely before the end of the month and into my new house. And it's a it's a whole thing that everybody's gone through multiple times, so I don't have to dwell on it. But specifically the last week, whenever free agency opened, I was tied up right in the midst of that and trying to pack and and fill up the uh, the storage thing and on all that kind of stuff. So, Bruce, you uh, while I was packing boxes, you were dropping pods. I was dropping pods. I was dropping them like they were hot. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. It was a whole thing. And I'm I'm sorry that you missed it, but it was uh, it was quite an eventful evening for me. The evening of the Klein Diggs Addison night, Brandon Bean after dark. It was it was quite an evening for me. Yeah, Bruce after dark as well for sure. So, well, one of the things that we wanted to spend a little bit more time on and talk about was the numerous moves that the Bills made on the defensive line both with players leaving the Bills and with players coming. So we this is all old news now, but before it's too old of news, we wanted to dig in and talk a little bit about what the defensive line is going to look like, what the defensive line is positioned to look like, and what 
whatever is potentially still possible to materialize on the defensive line moving forward. So big picture, we have allowed Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips to both test free agency and their market delivered them deals that I think were richer than most Bills fans were were hoping we might be able to re-sign them for. And, you know, it makes sense that that didn't happen because they were going to get more on the open market. And it, it, it actually, you know, came that way. Uh, specifically, Jordan Phillips, you know, he he got a deal that was in the dollar amount. He he got $10 million a year. Isn't that right? $30 million over three years? He did. And for Jordan Phillips to get double digits, you know, that that was that's quite rich, especially whenever a lot of Bills fans, I think, were talking about it would be ideal to grab him around the six to seven million dollar mark. Uh, obviously, he wanted more than that and he got it. So that that pushed us to the side in their stead. The Bills have brought in three additional defensive linemen and there is some versatility amongst at least one of these players and maybe others. But we brought in Mario Addison and Vernon Butler, both players who just left the Carolina Panthers last season. And then we also signed a player who previously had been with the Seattle Seahawks named Quinton Jefferson. Now, these guys, we've lost two players and we've brought in three. You could also say in some sense, maybe we lost three because Lorenzo Alexander retired and he did give us snaps at both rushing at end and playing interior defensive line every now and then. So, you know, we, we've lost that player and then we have gained these three. Bruce, big picture, is this a transition that you feel good about going from the defensive line roster that we had in 2019 to what it looks like we're going to have as of right now in 2020? Or do you think maybe we either just took a lateral move or maybe even took a step back? I think this is an upgrade overall. I think if you count Jordan Phillips' loss, you count Shaq Lawson's loss, you count Lorenzo Alexander's loss, and then you add... Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, and Mario Addison, I think this is a net positive for the defensive line room when it comes to pass rush and defending the run, which was a significant concern with Jordan Phillips's play and also a significant concern in the fact that you were losing that from Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson was a very good run defender, and when you lose things like that, you're thinking, gosh, I'm losing nine and a half sacks from Jordan Phillips, and I'm losing run defense from Shaq Lawson. So, It is no small feat to be able to lose those two players and manage to upgrade your defensive line, but that's what I think that the Bills did. I I think one of the things that makes this a little... uh, I I have heard people say, other than you, that this is a a step forward, that this this is an upgrade. What I think is a little hard for the average fan is that these guys are not necessarily mirror images of the person that they're replacing. They are different. And maybe there is some part of their skill set that's a little bit of a step back. I think what one thing that's complicated is that the defensive end, the only pure defensive end that we signed was Mario Addison. And we, the only pure defensive end that we lost was Shaq Lawson. So you're thinking about, okay, we're going to swap out Shaq Lawson for Mario Addison. And the big strike against Mario Addison is his age and the concern about he doesn't give you a whole lot of longevity. He doesn't solve the problem for an extended period of time, but he has maintained productivity. And, 
you know, that's something that you have taught us previously is that pass rushers specifically can be productive into their mid thirties. And that's right about where Mario Edison is headed. So can you compare and contrast who Shaq Lawson was, someone that we're familiar with and that I think we're all going to you know, appreciate and recognize the things you're going to tell us that he was good at or bad at, and then what Mario Addison brings to the table and whether or not you consider them to be a one-for-one or is there going to be some other adjustments that need to be made on the defensive side of the ball in order for the Bills to get whatever we were getting out of Shaq Lawson in a positive way? I think when Shaq Lawson came into the league, his ceiling was perceived as being something different than what his ceiling is being perceived as now. Now, I would argue that Mario Addison is what you're hoping Shaq Lawson will continue to ascend into. If you're someone who gave a contract to Shaq Lawson, aka you're the Miami Dolphins now, and you think, hey, we're getting an ascending player, the thing that you're hoping Shaq Lawson ascends into is Mario Addison. Mario Addison wins with hand usage. He wins with power, long arm, bull rush, that kind of stuff. Mario Addison does not bend the edge. Neither did Shaq Lawson. They're stout players. Addison's a little bit bigger, but they're stout players who win with technique and hand usage, and they give you a good base end. They give you reliable pass rush. I think Mario Addison is farther along in his craft than Shaq Lawson. And so if you think Shaq Lawson is going to become Mario Addison, then you're okay giving him $10 million a year. I don't think any Bills fan is really sure of that at this point because Shaq Lawson has never had the type of statistical production that Mario Addison had last year when he was miscast in three, four outside linebacker looks. I mean, I was watching some film on Mario Addison yesterday and in four, three looks, he was playing right end. And then in three, four looks, he was playing left outside linebacker. So there is some versatility there, but that's really not what Mario Addison does. I'm actually a little surprised he was able to maintain production, even being a little bit miscast in the three, four looks the Panthers were throwing. I actually think it was much better suited for Brian Burns, who was their first round pick last year, than it was suited for Mario Addison. But ultimately, Addison's a better player than Shaq Lawson. And I think that's not really a hot take. The difference is the youth versus the age. If you think Shaq Lawson is going to become Mario Addison, then getting that player younger is better than getting that player older because they, they got similar contracts. Obviously, Mario Addison got less guaranteed money than Shaq Lawson did. But from an APY standpoint, their contracts are fairly similar. So I think Mario Addison's a better player. I think he is the sure thing as opposed to hoping Shaq Lawson becomes the sure thing. So if Mario Addison was playing stand-up outside linebacker last year, that strikes me as a guy who still must have some athleticism in the tank because you know, you're asked to do different things and start your start with your body in a different position than the typical hand in the dirt 4-3 defensive end which he's been doing his entire career. So even though he is older, and obviously Eric Washington, our defensive line coach and formerly Carolina's defensive coordinator until the end of last season, would know this. But obviously Mario Addison is not washed. And we certainly didn't pay him like he was washed, like he was just a body that we were bringing in with a little bit of a pedigree and we'll see what happens. I mean, he, 
the man, like you said, he got a he got a pretty decent contract. And I think actually a lot of people were thinking that maybe he was even overpaid. Where do you land on the concerns, not just about his age, but about whether or not he has the athleticism that we still want out of that position moving forward and about the Eric Washington connection? Well, the good thing about situations like Mario Addison's is you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a lot of pass rushers who can play into their mid thirties with productivity. And a lot of that is style. What is it that you do that causes you to win? How do you win as a pass rusher? If you're someone who wins based on an incredibly explosive first step and speed to bend the edge, it might be difficult to you for you to play into your mid thirties because those things start to kind of lose a little bit of their juice. If you're someone like Mario Addison who plays heavier, you know, at the 275 range and plays thicker and wins with hand usage and power and long arm and those kind of things have a tendency to hold up longer. It's the traits that fade last as you start to age and as Father Charm starts to capture up with you. I agree with you that Mario Addison did actually get a much bigger contract than I thought he was going to get. I was on with Pat Moran and I was talking in the four to six million dollar a year range on a one year deal for Mario Addison because I thought, okay, this is a player who's realizes that he's at the age where teams maybe are going to start to be a little unsure. But the Mario Addison contract feels to me a little bit like the star Latulale contract, which was, listen, we know this player. We're comfortable with this player. We want to get this player. I think we pretty much all agree that $10 million a year for a nose tackle of Star Latulale's caliber was probably a little bit of an overpay, but it was absolutely necessary. We fill a hole with someone we were comfortable with. We were willing to pay extra for a sure thing. And that's what the Mario Addison contract feels like. It feels like we're willing to pay extra for a sure thing. Well, what constitutes a sure thing is Eric Washington. Eric Washington knows. You know, Brandon Bean was there. Sean McDermott was there. And they can go to Eric Washington and say, listen, does he still have it? Bear with me here. Come on. Give it to me straight, Eric. Does he still have it? And if Eric Washington says, yes, he still have it. Great. We lost Shaq. We don't love the edge rusher market that's gotten depleted by people getting tagged and Jadavian Clowney have his own concerns. We need a sure thing and we're willing to pay extra to get it. That's what this feels like to me. Okay. So let's transition to the other Carolina Panther, which is uh, Vernon Butler. So I think that the scouting report on Jordan Phillips that, you know, Bill's fans were kind of, Bills fans were talking about what he brings to the table if we were to keep him moving forward. Is he does bring a very opportunistic pass rush. He had a heck of a statistical year. I mean, almost an impossible statistical year to repeat as far as his number of pressures versus the number of sacks that he had. And, you know, that's either that's either he's about to become, you know, incredible and, and be really, really great. Or he is, you know, he, he had an outlier season, right? One or the other. Now, he was also someone that was playing ultimately behind Ed Oliver at the three technique position. And he was a person who I think we found to be a liability in run defense. He was moved out of the way either at his by his own you know, choice with where he was trying to rush from or just by not anchoring down and taking the block and and preventing the hole from being opened. And he was, you know, moved out of the way and and that hurt us a lot on run defense. 
Vernon Butler is a guy who the only thing that I have heard of him consistently is that he was slow to come on, had a, a disappointing first couple seasons. Then they did this alignment change, the, the the base defense formation change in Carolina. Now he all of a sudden had a very strong year. But we aren't running that same arrangement of defense that they were running in Carolina last year. We run, you know, typically a 4-3 base defense. So Vernon Butler coming in, what are his strengths? Does he have the same weaknesses or is he comparable in any way to Jordan Phillips? And what about this position versatility or, you know, can he play in a 4-3 defense? And and do you have any optimism that he's going to have as successful or as productive a season this year as he did last year in a 3-4 base defense? Vernon Butler, for me, is the biggest boomer bust free agent that the Bills signed so far this free agency period. Now, obviously, we could we could do something different. It's six o'clock on the 24th. So anything could happen at this point. So Vernon Butler, for me, is a boomer bust guy because you don't know why he broke out. You know, I mentioned this multiple times on previous pods. I don't know if he broke out because he was going to break out anyway or if he broke out because he's actually a five tech. And they needed the 3-4. He also didn't play very many snaps last year. So they played him in a limited role. And they played him in some 3-4 looks where he kind of was a 5-tech-2 a, a gapper. And it kind of worked out better for him. So you wonder, gosh, has he been miscast this whole time? But when he was coming out, the big strength for someone like him was he's got crazy long arms. I mean, like 35 and a half inch arms. I mean, just ridiculously long arms for a player like that. And there was a lot of Michael Brockers comparisons. There was some Muhammad Wilkerson, former New York Jet comparisons when it came to him. People who are underappreciated for how athletic they are. He does play with a much better base than Jordan Phillips ever did. I mentioned Jordan Phillips playing on ice skates lots of times when I was talking with you. That's not something you're going to run into with Vernon Butler playing on ice skates. He is a little bit he's a little bit top heavy but nothing like what you're used to seeing with with Jordan Phillips as far as that goes. So the long arms help. It kind of lets him do a little peekaboo, if you know what I mean. Like you, he's able to stack up an offensive lineman, keep his head on a swivel, and disengage with long arms and make a tackle. So he can play run defense better than Jordan Phillips, for sure. And that length really helps him. But I don't think he, at this point, going to suddenly turn into a, a – an incredibly electric three tech in the NFL. I could be wrong, obviously, but because it came out with the, with the profile of someone like Muhammad Wilkerson, someone like Michael Brockers, you know, those, those long, powerful guys who still have quick feet and can burst in short areas. Those people, I mean, this is not Ed Oliver from an athletic standpoint, but nobody's Ed Oliver from an athletic standpoint. This is a long, powerful guy that I think I think still could be, you know, a 4-3 defensive tackle. But the question with him is, why hasn't he been thus far? It's a very unique situation. I actually thought long and hard about Vernon Butler. I spent a ton of time thinking about Vernon Butler before free agency because obviously the fit with being a former Panther. And I just I just kept coming back to I just don't know. It's just I'll be very, very, very interested to see how he does this year. One of my most intriguing and the biggest question marks 
around the free agent class go to Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler also put up some pretty interesting pass rush stats. He had he had a handful of sacks last year, right? Yeah, he had six sacks last year, playing less than I think less than forty percent of the snaps in Carolina. Well, and it seems like that was sort of what people were saying about Jordan Phillips. Is Jordan Phillips got a bunch of snacks on a low number of snaps, and that that has to be a statistical outlier. It's not repeatable. Do we have the same concerns about Vernon Butler? Yes. There's all the same concerns. Pro football reference has him with 12 pressures and six sacks. So remember that 45% number that Jordan Phillips had as far as converting to sacks? Vernon Butler's a clean 50. A clean 50. So yes is the answer. They're all the same concerns. Now, Jordan, Jordan Phillips, I think, has more concerns in the run game than Vernon Butler does. But from a pass rush standpoint, absolutely there's the same concerns. Because... You know, Pro Football Reference is 12 pressures, six sacks. 50% is staggering. Absolutely staggering numbers. And so there's a concern as to whether or not this actually really even was a breakout year for him. So he actually had less quarterback hurries in 19 than he did in 18. And in 18, he had half a sack the entire year. Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. <laughs> He's had eight sacks in his entire career, and six of them were last season. Yeah. So yes, yes, the answer is yes. All the same concerns we had about Jordan Phillips are here. The only difference is we know Vernon Butler better because Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean were there, and he doesn't have the same run defense problems. But yes, there's absolutely a boomer bust component to Vernon Butler, and there are very similar concerns. Okay. So let's take one step back before we move on from Vernon Butler. We learned last year, I think a lot of Bills fans learned, because of Ed Oliver and the position he plays and him being you know, a, a potential draft darling, and then he actually falls to us and we get him. Bills fans, I think, learned the difference between the one technique and the three technique defensive tackle. The one technique is what Starla Tulele is typically tasked with. You are to eat up space. You are not to move, but you are not necessarily going to be a guy who wreaks havoc in the pass rush. Three technique is the guy who has more, you know, supposed to be maybe a little bit more explosive, supposed to penetrate more and supposed to give you some, some pass rush and some productivity there. What it is a five technique. So five techs, are in a 3-4 defense, you have three down linemen. You have a zero tech or a nose, which lines up usually head up over the center. And then you have five techs on either side of them. So three, four defensive ends would be considered to be five techs. These are somebody's who's positioned between the guard and the tackle and are responsible for two gaps on either side of them. So a gap to their left and a gap to their right. So if you think about it this way, the... Each one of the three defensive linemen in a 3-4 traditional alignment are responsible for two gaps, a gap to your left and a gap to your right. And the thing that makes five techs different is when you're responsible for two gaps, it becomes less advantageous for you to burst through a hole for fear that you will lose, you've heard this phrase before, gap integrity and then the hole that you have vacated is now available in the run game or is available in the screen game or is available in the draw game, you know, things like that. So 
That's a five tech. Now, there are three, four defensive coordinators who run different versions of this thing. Wade Phillips famously runs a three, four defensive front, but it's actually really a four, three over. We can go into that's a whole different story, but his defensive line has different responsibilities. But if you're just going traditional by the book, three, four, the defensive ends are five techs. And that's one of the things that makes Bruce Smith so impressive. Bruce Smith ran out of a 3-4 defense as a 5-tech and still had ridiculous sack, sack numbers. I will fight people on this. Bruce Smith is the greatest pass rusher of all time because he did it from a less advantageous position than someone like Lawrence Taylor or Reggie White. So Now, Reggie White different because when he was in Philadelphia, there's a whole different story to that. But I still stand by my point. Bruce Smith is the greatest pass rusher of all time. Fight me. Come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. Come at me. I'm right here. The five technique sounds incredibly difficult because you have two potential linemen who it sounds like you're asking for a double team all the time yep. because you've got two linemen that are right up over you and you're supposed to be able to hold off both of them and then disengage and go after the, the, the ball carrier if they happen to hit one of your two holes. That sounds like an incredibly difficult task. And the fact that Vernon Butler had his best season when he was given a more complex task than just being a traditional three-tech or one-tech defensive tackle is very curious to me. One of the things that teams will tell you when they go away from a 3-4 defense when they decide to switch from a 3-4 to a 4-3, is it's just hard to find players for a 3-4. There are unique body types associated with being a 3-4. And a lot of teams, when they move away from a 3-4, just say it's just easier to find players for a 4-3. So that's one of the reasons why. Finding a 3-4-5 tech is really impressive. I mean, J.J. Watt is a great example of someone who's special as a 3-4 defensive end, playing 5-tech. He is special in that area. And one of the reasons why he was a defensive MVP was because he's a unique and special player. Those players don't come around every day. It's a lot easier to find a 4-3 defensive end. So yes, it's absolutely difficult to find those players. And with the Vernon Butler thing, I, I truly don't know. I do not know if the... Juice is going to be worth the squeeze for Vernon Butler. I don't know. There's a concern for me about that. And I don't even know if maybe he was, maybe his breakout isn't really a breakout at all. Maybe it's just a flash like Jordan Phillips. So we keep talking about his breakout happening when he moved into a three, four role as a five tech a lot more. But what if it wasn't really a breakout? What if it was just a statistical anomaly rather than a breakout? Then in that case, you're looking closer to being the bust of the boomer bust or, or Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott go, you know what? Vernon Butler was on a really good trajectory. And then we left and we didn't really like what the coaches did with them there in Panthers territory. I think we could, we could put him back on the right trajectory. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is, you know, we really had a plan for Vernon Butler when we drafted him. And that never really came to fruition because we left but we know there's still talent there. Let's get him back on track and bring him up here. So, okay, acknowledging all of these unknowns about Vernon Butler and acknowledging that there was also unknowns about Jordan Phillips, there were things that we knew about Jordan Phillips. We knew that he was not a terrific run defender, right? We knew that he was an opportunistic pass rusher, that it, it, he can, at times, really cause problems. 
And he did that. What do we know about Vernon Butler? What do we know that he brings? And is this in your mind, going? if we're just going to go straight away, swapping out Jordan Phillips for Vernon Butler, is this a lateral move or a step forward or backward? I think this is a slight step forward, personally. I think that's the case because I think Vernon Butler is a better run defender than Jordan Phillips. I think he anchors better. I think he can stack and shed better. I think he gets pushed out of his gap less often than Jordan Phillips. The pass rush part of this is unique because we just established that Vernon Butler and Jordan Phillips both had statistically anomalic seasons last year as far as converting pressures to sacks. So I'm going to call that a push. So if I call the pass rush stuff a push, then on top of that, I'm going to say, okay, if that's a push and the run defense is pro Butler, then I'm going to say overall it's it's a positive move. Okay, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We will come right back and then we will pick up this conversation with the last defensive line addition that the Bills have made so far in free agency. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. All right. So the last current as of, again, you know, a little after six o'clock on Tuesday night, the last defensive lineman that the Bills signed that we have not yet spoken about is a Mr. Quinton Jefferson from previously the Seattle Seahawks. Quinton Jefferson is a guy who I have seen some people be over the moon about. Specifically, the guys over at Cover One were very excited that the Bills signed Quinton Jefferson. And then I've the other thing I've heard is that he is a He's a he's versatile, that he can do all kinds of different things on the defensive line. Now, I think it's it's almost less common on the defensive line for guys to be able to play multiple positions than on the offensive line. A lot of times you have swing guys who can play either guard or center, or you have guys who maybe can play either tackle position, or you have guys like Ryan Bates on the Bills who can you know, uh, uniquely play all five positions. Jeremiah Searles was a guy we had who could also do that. I think you hear about that a lot less on the defensive line. Is that right, Bruce? Yeah, very few defensive linemen are going to be able to play all four positions in a 4-3 defense, but they might be able to play three of them. And that's what I think Quentin Jefferson is. Quentin Jefferson is a guy who I think can play three-tech for us. I think he can play right end, and I think he can play left end. And with the Seahawks, of the snaps he played a lot of them were at end. And for a 291-pound man, that's kind of impressive. Now, I think that we listed him as a defensive tackle. So I think that they view him as being a defensive tackle first and someone who can potentially flex out in bigger packages when you want to get a little stiffer on the defensive line, you want to get a little bit more bulk in there. I think he's someone who can kick out 
especially because Trent Murphy was not very good against the run last year. So if you have obvious rundowns and you want to load up a little bit, you could potentially have Jefferson and Addison as your ends, which gives you a lot more meat than Murphy and Jerry Hughes. So that's potentially something that they could do, but Jefferson's incredibly versatile. And a lot of Seahawks fans were not happy that he was leaving because there was a discussion as to whether or not he was actually a better pass rusher from the defensive line than Jadavian Clowney last year. So if he had stayed in Seattle, do you think that they were going to put him at end on a regular basis more so than defensive tackle or is defensive tackle, you know, in Seattle's opinion, also his primary position, which is like, as you said, it sounds like the bills believe that because that's how they announced him when they signed him. He played more snaps at defensive end for Seattle than he did at defensive tackle. So they viewed him as an end first. He's listed as an end on the roster, but we listed him as a defensive tackle here. If you had to guess how this lineup with what we have currently might look, you know, so so our defensive line as it stands now, right at the ends, we ha- on the roster today. Okay, we've got Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy. We've got uh, Daryl Bam Johnson and Mike Love. Those are the four guys that we have right now. Now we have added Mario Addison and maybe Quentin Jefferson, if you want to call him an end. If you don't want to call him an end, that's fine. Uh, as far as defensive tackles on the roster, we have Starla Tulele. We have Ed Oliver. We have Harrison Phillips coming back from a torn ACL. And now we have Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson. If you had to daydream or if you if you are if Bills fans are trying to daydream about what this defensive line is going to look like whenever they line up and are going after the offense. What do you think the arrangements are going to look like? And I acknowledge that this is a little bit of a question that's difficult to answer because of the heavy rotation and the substitutions the Bills are constantly doing at this position. But for some of us who are just trying to even get an idea of what it might look like, can you can you uh, scratch that itch for us? If you think about it like lines in hockey, yes, I made a hockey reference. Flying V! There you go, guys. There was my one hockey reference for the year. I I don't know what's going on. Cats are dancing with dogs and everything is in mania right now. But if you were going to think about it like lines in hockey, I would say the first line would be Hughes, Starr, Oliver, Addison. Now, Addison rushed from the right side in four, three defensive looks for Carolina last year. I mentioned that earlier, but when he was standing up, he was standing up on the left side. So it's not like he's not used to that. The space is probably much more of a concern than the left, right stuff with Addison. So I think he can play left end just fine. So if Addison's at left end, Oliver's at three tech stars at one tech Hughes is at right end. That would be your first line. Your second line, Murphy, Jefferson, Phillips, Butler, or Murphy, Butler, Phillips, Jefferson, depending on whether or not they view him as, you know, a defensive tackle primary or a defensive end primary. And then you have Daryl Johnson sprinkled in. In addition, Butler can help accommodate for the fact that Harrison Phillips might not be quite ready to go. And Harrison Phillips played a little bit of both one tech and three tech and Vernon Butler can play a little bit of both too. So if you need someone to spare to spell star and it's a passing down, 
you could bring in Vernon Butler. If you need someone to spell star and it's a running down, you could potentially put in Harrison Phillips. So Butler also gives you a little bit of a hedge against Harrison Phillips being slower to come back from the ACL than we might have hoped. Okay. So you see, like what you told us was that on the second line, as it stands today, would be Murphy, Harrison Phillips coming back from injury. And then you were saying that Butler and Jefferson would both be on the field before Bam Johnson. Now, both of those guys are, you know, either they they are either primarily defensive tackles throughout their career or they are guys that the Bills announced, you know, defensive tackle, which is what they did with Jefferson, right? But Butler was a defensive tackle pretty exclusively in in Carolina until he played the the, four, the three four end role, right? So, your in your mind, both Butler and Jefferson, either one of them playing it like an end responsibility would see the field before Bam Johnson. I don't think Butler's going to play end in a four three, but I I do think that. Jefferson's going to get more snaps than Bam Johnson. I think every single person on the defensive line will get more snaps than Bam Johnson. Uh, he was a seventh round toolsy guy. I don't think you can count on him at this point. And you're not paying him basically anything as a seventh round pick. He's a developmental guy who might might make the roster. I don't think it might make the roster. That's important. I don't think he's going to get even close to the snap count of Jefferson, Butler, Harrison Phillips, Addison, Murphy. I mean, not even close to being that kind of thing. And I don't think he's ready. When you when you have someone like that, that's a two-year project, and you hope that you see the jump from year one to year two that he can stay on the team. And really, that's what you're hoping for Bam Johnson. I don't think you can count on him for meaningful production out of a seventh-round pick. And yeah, he's toolsy, but it's almost a Christian Wade conversation. If you get something from Daryl Johnson, great. But at this point, counting him for meaningful snaps over those players I just mentioned, I think is a little um, ambitious. I, I don't disagree with you. I guess I'm just curious or I find it interesting that, you know, it, it sounds like people who would people like yourself, people who have a, a pretty good sense of how this stuff might look are expecting Jefferson to get meaningful snaps at defensive end whenever the Bills have announced him as a defensive tackle. And last year, Bam Johnson was our fourth D end. And now we are demoting him for a player who plays both positions and meaningful, meaningful snaps at defensive end. I'm not taking that away from Jefferson, but that's not even the position that the Bills claim that he is. But you would still expect, even though, even with those uh, facts being taken into consideration, you would still expect for Bam Johnson to probably uh, take a step back as far as the amount of snaps he's going to get this season compared to last. I would, because you have to think about it in terms of Lorenzo Alexander. Lorenzo Alexander was listed as a linebacker, but was in the defensive line room and played meaningful snaps. And so even though he's listed as a linebacker, I, I think this is a similar scenario with Quentin Jefferson. The versatile pass rush inside outside stuff that we lost when we lost Lorenzo Alexander, I think is replaced with Quentin Jefferson rushing from the inside, rushing from the outside, taking advantage of, of tackles or guards who you think you have particularly good matchups with. I think that that stuff takes priority over a developmental seventh round pick. Okay. Fair enough. I, I think the other thing that, you know, I, I kind of keep thinking about BM Johnson is because 
he did see the field whenever, you know, when he was drafted, he was nothing but a practice squad candidate in my mind at the time. But of course, what do I know? But that, that was where I think a lot of people initially went to seventh round pick, not very polished, small school, high athletic traits, but that's about it, blah, blah, blah. And then he winds up making the roster because the Bills didn't feel like they could expose him to waivers. And then he actually sees some playing time. The other thing is that you still have Trent Murphy. Now, right now we're paying Jerry Hughes pretty good money. We're paying Mario Addison, maybe overpaying Mario Addison, you know, more money. And we still have Trent Murphy, who is a guy that is, of course, everyone would know, probably one of my favorite whipping boys. Not that I don't like him or that I think he can't play, but that he is he is contributing to the team less than I believe everyone expected and was hoping he was going to whenever they signed him to the deal that they did from the Redskins coming back from injury. And it just has never materialized for him in a Bills uniform. There are still things that hypothetically, despite already signing three players on the defensive line, you know, the Bills are, if they were to make another move, it would almost be like this year, what we did at the offensive line last offseason is what we're doing at the defensive line this offseason. Is there a move or is there anything left on the defensive side of the ball for the defensive line that might make sense before we get to the draft? Oh, I'd sign Everson Griffin in an absolute heartbeat. I would 100% go get Everson Griffin from the Vikings. And, and Everson Griffin was the guy who, whenever we talked about free agent targets, we didn't talk about him, but we talked about how he kept Stephen Weatherly on the bench, who yes. was a low-key defensive end target of yours, who was a backup defensive end from Minnesota, right? Yes, exactly right. Um, the guy who was good enough to keep the guy I wanted off the field, yeah, you better darn well think I'm going to like that guy. And with Leslie Frazier experience and with schematic similarities, I think that Everson Griffin would absolutely be a slam dunk. Now, he is a right-side-only player, so he and Jerry Hughes would spell each other on that side. You wouldn't end up with Hughes and Griffin on, on the field at the same time. Very likely not. You wouldn't have that anyway. But Everson Griffin, from a pressure standpoint, miles above the production that the Bills are getting from Trent Murphy. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. At this point, I wonder a little bit if the Bills are talking to him. I don't know. It's you know At the time of this recording, it hasn't been discussed um, publicly as far as what teams he's looking at. You know, the Seahawks might look at him as a replacement for JV and Clowney. The Bills could look at him. You know, there there are always teams who are going to be in the mix for a player like that. And I would absolutely sign up for that. So Everson Griffin and Jerry Hughes would play the same position. And I know that, you know, we kind of have two starters at all four positions on the defensive line because of how heavily we rotate. But which of them do you think would roll out first, Everson Griffin or Jerry Hughes? Jerry Hughes. Would Everson Griffin, would he be a guy who would bring a lot of speed? Because that's something that we don't really have right now, even with the additions that were made, right? Jefferson, Addison, these are two guys who are going to play at defensive end. They are not, you know, the fastest guy we probably have is Jerry Hughes, right? And, and he's not, you know, he's not as explosive as he was whenever hashtag sign Jerry Hughes was, was going around, you know, uh, the Bills Twitterverse. So it, would Everson Griffin add that to the room or is that not something that you think is a priority or, or how does, how does that fit in with everything? Everson Griffin is more explosive than someone like Trent Murphy, but he's still not a pure speed rusher. I think at this point, 
in our relationship as fans with Sean McDermott, I think we can officially say Sean McDermott has a type. I mean, when you look back to his days in Carolina, people think about Carolina pass rushers and they think about Julius Peppers, but Sean McDermott wasn't there for Julius Peppers. Sean McDermott was Charles Johnson, Greg Hardy, Coney Ely. These are 270 to 280 pound defensive ends. And Greg Hardy now in, the, in MMA has to cut down to hit the heavyweight limit of 265. These are not small people. These are not 244 pound speed rushers. In fact, I would make an argument that there's a chance that if Jerry Hughes was presented to Sean McDermott on the open market, stylistically, he would pass because every time Sean McDermott has had his chance to choose one, he has chosen a 275 pound base end. He's chosen Charles Johnson. He's chosen Coney Ely. You know, he's chosen Mario Addison again. Another one. And these are all people. I think it's time for us to accept that there's a possibility that the players out there like Brian Burns, the players out there who are smaller, faster, bendy kind of players, you know, someone who's someone who's coming out in the draft right now, okay, who is smaller and bendier and someone who fits a little bit of that Brian Burns sort of style is Kalevon Chason, right? Who was a very popular mock pick very early on for the Bills at 22. Now we're thinking maybe he's probably going to go ahead of that. I think it's time to accept that Sean McDermott might not lock players like that. He might not prefer players like that because every time he's had a chance to pick a pick an archetype, he's picked heavier, bigger defensive ends and bigger base ends. So I don't think we added a lot of speed, but it might be time for us to shift the mindset that maybe those smaller, bendier players isn't really Sean McDermott's style. And Everson Griffin would be kind of on brand for Sean McDermott. He's not a smaller, bendier sort of player. You know, he's Everson Griffin wins with hand usage. Everson Griffin wins with power. Everson Griffin is a good base end. It's not, it's not Danelle Hunter. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a 6'3", 275-pound guy, which, ironically enough, is almost identical to the size of Mario Addison. Everson Griffin fits the stereotype. And I think at this point, it's reasonable to assume that there is, in fact, a stereotype with Sean McDermott. All right. Well, I think that hopefully this gives you guys a little bit more info with where the Bills are as of today with this new and revamped defensive line talent that we have brought in on free agency. Hopefully you have a better understanding with what is their strengths, weaknesses, and expectations. It certainly was helpful for me. We would love to hear what you think of the podcast. If you would be so kind to head over to the iTunes store or to Stitcher and scroll down to the bottom of the, the page. You have to be on a web browser on a desktop or laptop computer. You cannot do it from a mobile device. But if you go to Stitcher and you pull up the Buffalo Rumblings podcast, you can scroll down and leave a review there, or you can head, head over to the iTunes store and leave a review and let us know what you think of the show. It is something that would uh, be awesome for us to hear from you guys. It's a tough time for everybody, right? Uh, it, it, things are stressful. Things are... Uh, uneasy, unprecedented in some ways, and it would be nice to, uh, you know, just hear if you guys are still enjoying what we're doing, even though uh, you know, things are complicated. So, with that, 
We will go ahead and sign off. You can find me on Twitter at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Bruce, where can the people find you? At Bruce Exclusive. Follow us on Twitter, folks. Get a Twitter and then follow us because if we're going to announce anything about pods, about schedule, about upcoming topics, if we're going to solicit stuff, that's where we're going to get it from. So we had some guy create a Twitter and follow us. I'm like, yes, yes, that guy's a fan. He's a real fan. I appreciate that. So if you don't have a Twitter, make a Twitter and then follow us. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So without further ado, we will go ahead and let you go this Thursday evening. And then we will be back with you tomorrow. And until then, as you are waiting so impatiently and sugar plums are dancing around in your head, we hope that you have wonderful dreams about this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a... Do the cha-cha.